TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed, and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer, and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make It Big Training, and the Master of Me coaching program, Stuart Hayes. Stewie, how you going? Mate, I am absolutely excellent. It's been a, a fantastic week since I last saw you. Great weekend, hit the beach, all that sort of stuff. What about yourself? Uh, well, I uh, caught up with you on Sat and Sunday uh, had a day in the garden with a lovely wife. It was long overdue. It was somewhat wilted after a hot summer, uh, but it was good fun. Played with the dog. <laughs> Can't complain. Important stuff, Ru, huh? It is. It is. Life balance, my friend. Well, I've got to say, I am pretty pumped about the show today and in particular, the opportunity to chat with one of the nicest blokes that I have ever had the good fortune to meet. Uh, not to mention, of course, big, big fella, he is one of the most inspiring, most famous and most popular players to have ever played AFL footy. Check out this for a list of accolades. Hit me. Three times all-time, all-Australian team, um, best and fairest winner, team of the century member and 13 times leading goal kicker at his club, Richmond, the Mighty Tigers. He's one of only eight play- or 11 players to have kicked 800 goals at, in his career in AFL football. A lot of goals. And he's the holder of the record, which I reckon is really, really cool, of the most goals ever kicked on the MCG. He retired from footy in 09. He works in the media on Channel 7 and 3AW. He's still involved with Richmond. It's a great story, Rich. It's a story of two careers, media and football. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly looking forward to learning a lot more about it. Uh, Matthew Richardson, welcome to Careers Unplugged. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Matt? Richo, Matt, we'll work it out as we go. Either, either or, either or. But I'll go. Not, I'll go. Yeah, but not Matthew under not any, Matthew, under any circumstances. Matthew. No, 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 I'm not Richard. Uh, so, Matt, uh, what was your first job like when you were a kid growing up? What was? Did you have part time job growing up through school or anything like that? Yeah, my first job uh, was with my father's business, actually down in Tasmania in a place called Devonport on the northwest coast. Uh, Dad had a furniture removaling business so whenever I uh, was on school holidays or on Saturday mornings or after school sometimes I'd go over and help load trucks and you know take furniture on and off and and all that sort of thing so uh, yeah I did that for years I guess from from uh, my early teens up until pretty much uh, up until when I moved to Melbourne I was over there helping so yeah, I've got a bit of a taste for uh, for hard work, I guess, doing furniture removaling because it's a pretty tough job. Yeah. Is that how you uh, used to pay your board, mate? Was that, um, you know, food That's, goes on the table, Matt, as long as you I'll start plugging these couches around for us. There was no minimum wage uh, with that. He didn't pay us too much at all. And he, when you got our pay at the end of the week, uh, he always deducted our soft drink off that as well, which we take out of the fridge. So he didn't even give us a free can of Coke, Dad. But uh, I guess it was a good way to learn about earning money and saving and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it was a pretty successful business there. Dad had it for, for 25 years. So, uh, yeah, we enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed working over there. I, I actually did furniture removal for two summers after school, and uh, it is tough work. That would have been like a serious pre-season training for you. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I guess it was. I guess in a way you, you probably don't realise at the time, but I guess you probably did build a little bit of strength up, you know, lifting furniture, you know, on and off trucks and you learnt responsibility as well. You had to look after, you know, other people's furniture. You're also, you know, Dad did a lot of uh, contract work with a lot of furniture manufacturers in Tasmania. So, you know, you had to be pretty responsible as well with, uh, you know, pretty expensive furniture. And, and all the while at this stage, um, you know, you, you, you're playing football and doing other sports. So what, what sort of, at what point did you start to really start locking um, on a career in AFL and moving to Melbourne? Yeah, I, I like most Aussie kids my age. It was cricket in summer. Uh, football in winter and, and basketball sort of all year round being a sport you can play any time of year so smash those three sports from from I guess you know early primary school right through but I guess I really started thinking about an AFL career probably about year nine or year nine and ten at high school I guess okay. it's at that point where you start making representative teams um, state teams and I was lucky enough to make those and you go away to a carnival, you come over here to to the mainland as we call it in Tasmania and you know, you'd go to these carnivals, you'd see AFL recruiting officers sitting in the you know, in the grandstand and or parking cars around the, the local footy ovals and I guess that's when you got a, a bit of a taste that maybe it wasn't too far away if you could put a you know, a good foot forward at these carnivals. So it was about in year nine or ten that I started thinking about it. And I, I reckon I put all my eggs in one basket. It was probably about that time where I started uh, letting myself down a little bit with my study as well. So I'm pretty, probably pretty lucky in the end that I, I did make it at AFL level because I, I did give up on my studies a little bit and put all my eggs in one basket. Is, is that a theme that you reckon is something that's important in success generally, though, at some point to put all your eggs in one basket? I guess looking back, I can say it worked for me, but you know, I've probably seen a lot of other guys come into AFL football over the years that you know, probably did the same as me and, and had a really single-minded you know, approach to wanting to make football but, and, and sort of forgot about worrying about you know, continuing on some study in the background. And they get to the ages of 23, 24, they're not playing AFL, they've been dropped off a list and they almost have to start again. So... Mm. I guess in a career as cutthroat as football, you know, especially when you know it's pretty hard to make a living unless you're at the highest level, I think you probably should have a backup plan, whereas I didn't. Uh, I guess I was lucky that I, I was able to make it. But, look, I think you probably should have uh, plan B a little bit. How important do you think it is to set goals around those sorts of things? So, you know, yes, I want to be... Uh, I want to play professional sport, therefore I've got to kick these particular goals, pardon the pun, yeah. uh, along the way. And, you, you know, you talk about making representative teams and so on. And and yet at the same time, you know, keeping the balance with your other things. Was, was that important to you? Obviously, you know, for you, you just went, nah, I'm boots and all, again, pardon yeah. the pun. Uh, yeah. They're just coming naturally. <laughs> um, uh, and you went for for the for the one thing but was there goals around that for you oh of course i mean it's important to have long-term goals and then i guess short-term goals along the way little little things that you can almost tick off daily as you go along and obviously the big picture when i was a kid was to make it to an afl club so that was your long-term goal i guess but then you had you had daily goals you know you go to training let's, let's put in a good training session today and you tick that goal off and then there might be a, a goal at the end of the week when the game comes around that you know you want to 
get X amount of things done in the game and you tick that one off and then the next goal might have been to, to make a representative team in your, in your local area, which was the northwest coast, and you make that, you tick that off. Uh, and then the state team would have been a goal. So mm. I think it's very important that you give yourself little wins along the way. So plenty of short-term goals mm. that you can almost monitor daily. And then you have your long-term goal. And I guess once I got to AFL level, then you reset your goals. You know, right, I'm here now. What do I want to do? Well, for me, I, I, right from the start, I wanted to play 200 games. So I guess that was my long-term goal. Mm. How am I going to do that? Well, I've got to, you know, I've got to train well. I've got to get stronger. You know, I've got to make the team first and foremost. So, yeah, very important to have goals. Question on that topic, actually. In fact, a bunch of questions come out, but we often talk about the importance of, you know, working out where you want to get to and then working out, as you just said, how am I going to get there? Yeah. But one of the things that we've noticed is that the journey of success is often more about who you have to be than what you have to do. Yeah. Have you found that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to give up a lot of things as well. And I remember probably, you know, in my last sort of six months leading up to the time where the draft was coming around in Tasmania, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, it was at that time you start getting temptations to get out and have a drink and party and all those sorts of things. So you, you sort of had to make sacrifices as well and, and put up with, I guess, you know, a bit of peer group pressure along the way. So you, you sort of have to make decisions, I guess, uh, as to what you want to be. And that means, you know, giving up certain things and, and focusing on other things. So no doubt that has a big part to play. You, you've touched on a really interesting point, which I was going to actually say before, because football is a team sport, um, how important have your peers or people around you been on your own personal success? And along the way, has that been conscious? Have you sort of at different times thought, you know, I'm going to model off this group of people over here who are particularly cool or influential in, in, in where I want to go? Oh, it definitely. It applies to anything you do, any organisation or anything that you do. Once you get there, you, you quickly identify the people that are probably going places and the ones that maybe aren't. And you need to sort of almost attach yourself to those people sort of try and get as much advice off them as you can, um, observe what they do. I know when I first got to Richmond, almost the first day, you can pick out the guys that have the right attitude, the guys that look like they want to train harder, the guys that want to do the extras, um, and they're the ones that you follow and, and you, I guess you, you try and be like. And I did that when I got there. There were probably two or three guys that I looked up to the way they trained and I tried to, you know, beat them at training, beat them in the running, mm. ask them questions, find out how they got to be where they are. So, yeah, you need to do that pretty early on wherever you go as well. Mm. Is that sort of like a – did you, you sort of – as in mentoring, was that a, um, a thing that you sought? Like were you, were you allowed to sit down with you and actually share with you openly or was, there, was it competitive to some degree? Uh, yeah, probably the mentoring side of it almost probably wasn't my peers as much as the guys around me, but probably someone a little bit older. I know in, in Tassie I had a, a couple of people a little bit older than me that had probably been there and done that that I, I trusted. I think it's important to find a couple of older type mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to have too many, I, I don't think. You need to have a couple of people that you really trust and and uh, and and you can speak to whenever you have an issue and 
yeah, I've had those along the way. I had a couple in Tassie and through my career I always had someone I could talk to if, you know, things weren't going how I wanted and they give you advice and feedback on how you're going. So I think it's very important to have a mentor as well. Probably not someone in your own peer group, but maybe someone out of it that can have a look in and give you a pretty good view on everything. Have you had good advice or, you know, that people in that mentor role in completely different industries? I think with the football, it was generally someone that had been involved in football, no doubt about that. But I guess outside of football and other aspects of your life, yeah, I have had have, have had people that I guess are just a, a mentor along the way, a sounding board, whether it's, you know, you know, in your other career, what you do outside of footy or just life in general. So, yeah, I think... I think for me, though, the, in my career, it was always someone that had an association with the sport. A question for you, just on the theme of mentors. Um, I know for me, it, often there's those turning points in life where someone has actually had to take you aside and say, listen, mate, um, I think you've got to have a bit of a look in the mirror right now, a bit of a wake-up call. Is that something that um, had to happen to you from time to time? Yeah, I think it was a big. There was a big turning point for me in my career. I think in the early two thousands, in my sort of, I would have been twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. I reckon I had two or three years where I, I lost my way a little bit. I was probably worried too much about my, my own game, not not as focused on the team as what I should be. Um, I wasn't playing as well. I think my attitude dropped off uh, towards you know all aspects of my football and. I actually went and saw someone who was a mentor. I got given some uh, an advice to go and see this person, and we sat down and basically analysed where I was at in my in my career. And uh, you know, he told me some hard truths. After listening to what I had to say, he, he sort of whacked me between the eyes a little bit, and <laughs> we reassessed we reassessed where I was at, set some goals, and you know, put some things in place to achieve them. And that happened uh, to me. And within about 18 months, I reckon I got myself back on track. And the last sort of five years of my career were probably my most consistent and rewarding. And I can really pin it right back to that um, mentor that I had and the time we spent together where we, re, I guess, realigned what I was doing and the way I was thinking. And uh, it really worked for me. Professional sports, obviously, uh, by its very nature, extremely competitive and, and challenging both physically and mentally. Has there been times where you've got down about yourself or, or where you're at in your career? And, and, uh, and if so, how did you sort of get yourself out of that state of being down? Or have you just been, you know, naturally buoyant the whole way through? No, not at all. I guess with sport, the biggest thing that can get you down is, is injury, yep. which is part and parcel with uh, professional sport. And, you know, I had plenty of injuries along the way. And I guess when you look back at your career, they're the times when you're the most down. You know, you, you do so much work to get fit and healthy. And then in an instant, you know, you can do your knee or snap your hamstring off the bone. And, you know, you, you really can hit rock bottom, I guess. You go in and have surgery. And I guess it's the days following, you know, when you're lying in hospital, you can't do anything. You can almost feel yourself getting unfitter mm. by the day. Um, that's when you get really down. And I guess uh, that's... The, what pulled you out of that, I guess, was then re, reassessing your goals again. So you'd, I'd then set goals around my rehabilitation, you know. Mm. You want to almost prove people wrong, you know. Oh, he's not going to be able to get over that injury. So you want to prove people wrong. You want to prove that 
I guess the physios and doctors wrong. I always wanted to try and get back quicker than what they thought that I could get back, things like that. So you always have to find motivation in anything that you're doing. And I guess that's what would pull you out of the mire when you were down in the dumps, when you're lying around on the couch with your leg in a, a brace. Mm. You know, you'd start reassessing where you're at and, and setting goals. And it's little things again, you know, when you're rehabbing, right, I want to get out of this brace by the end of next week, you know, and, and things like that. So I think you really need to have little wins for yourself, no matter what you're doing. And uh, it's all about reassessing yourself and that's probably what got me out of those dark times when you're injured lying in hospital beds. So you think success breeds success. So, you know, by having little wins all the time, you're, you're just going, yeah, I won, I beat that one, I got that one, and, you know, and you're, you're ticking off those little achievements and uh, then that, that builds momentum. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. And it, it, they can be really simple things at first, you know, and mm. the more little things you're ticking off, you write them down. I, I love to constantly write down what my goals were. Mm. Uh, Constantly have a look at them, read them every day, and and just reinforce what you're doing. And you still and where you, you're at. you still do that? Yeah, I still do that. I think I think it's very important to do that and and read them regularly and mm. and check them off. And you're right; it might seem a simple thing, but little wins always breed you know breed bigger wins. I mm. think. I was reading, I was reading my goals just before we took this call. <laughs> I'm a list, I'm a list writer. Yeah, I think that makes three of us. Yeah, <laughs> question don't for you. So hard though, or else you never tick it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, let's let's explore that actually, because um, one of the one of the key dynamics that some of our other calls have had on this show has been um, you have to be the person who's able to achieve the goals. If you make them too vast or the steps are too big, then that's when you can lose your way. Mm. Hence the importance of having little short-term goals. My question though is how do you celebrate you know, and when do you celebrate? Is it just the satisfaction of ticking off the small steps or do you sort of take some time out from occasionally and, and look back and say, gee, you know, I'm on track. This is great. You know, go out for dinner or whatever. Oh, no. I think for, I think for footballers it, it's, you know, it does create a, an environment where you, you're constantly – anxious and you never can relax because even if you do achieve a goal like on match day I guess is where you you go out and achieve a lot of your goals around your performance and I used to think that the only time you ever really enjoyed it was for about 10 minutes after a win because you'd get into the room you'd sing the song you'd be happy you'd see your friends and family you'd you'd ice up you'd have a shower and you'd be feeling pretty happy but by the drive home I was generally getting anxious again because I'd be like gee I've got to try and do this again all next week (laughs) <laughs> so for me, I guess the time where I tried to allow myself to enjoy what I was doing was it was probably the night after a game, not in having a couple of beers or going out for dinner and, and just trying to switch off for that two or three hours before the whole cycle starts again the next morning at recovery and you pick up the paper or you, you listen to what your coach has to say. So, yeah, I think it was important to try and switch off once a week and that was generally after a game for me. That, that theme of... Um you know, of finding the space to enjoy and reflect and be satisfied and happy. Um, and, and often it's not at the time that maybe the rest of the world as spectators would think it is that we, you know, I mean, we had, we had Stephen Bradbury on the show uh, and he shared that, you know, the guy's won an Olympic gold medal, but actually the highlight of his career was in the dressing room 15 minutes before that race when it was quiet 
he was by himself and he sat back and he thought about it and, uh, and, he, and he's just he was completely present to the moment. Did you have that sort of experience as well? Is, it, is that part of what you're saying? Yeah, I guess it is, but I got, for me it was, it was more after a game. Just You'd sit around the rooms, you'd look around at everyone sort of happy and, and, and smiling and that was when, what made it all worth it. And I guess that were the, they were the best times for me, probably just after the moment. I was always a bit too anxious before a game to probably really... I know some people could be calm before a game, but I was the opposite. I was probably up and about and a little bit anxious. So for me, it was when I did get that switch off, that time where I could just sit back and, and, and take it all in and not think about it for a few minutes. And that was just after a game. Mm. What would you say was your darkest moment? I mean, you, you mentioned with injuries um, and, you know, the, the rehabilitation period being pretty tough. What would be... Um, the toughest sort of uh, obstacle, I guess, that you've had to work through? Uh, the toughest obstacle? Definitely, I had some body language issues, I guess, and, and I felt misunderstood at times with that. I, I've, a lot of the times on the ground, uh, the body language was almost was directed at myself, and I think people on the, the outside thought it was directed at teammates, and that sort of hurt a little bit, that they thought that I'd... I'd think that of my teammates. At times, I did show frustration towards teammates, but uh, deep down inside, most of the frustration was at my own performance. So I felt misunderstood at times, I guess. Um, and that was probably in that period I was talking about before for about two years, where I was 26, 27. I should have been playing my best footy, but I was sort of a little bit lost for a while. And that was a combination of feeling a little bit misunderstood and probably getting my back up and, and being a bit bitter and twisted about that. And that same time then corresponded with a number of hamstring injuries, which are probably the worst injuries you can have, muscular strains, because you feel a million dollars and then they just ping. There's no warning. They go and mm-hmm. I was getting muscle tear after muscle tear and I, I couldn't get it right. And I was negative on myself. I was negative on everyone around me and it, it sort of snowballed. I think it, there's no doubt that if you think negatively, it affects your body. It snowballs into into everything, and that was probably the period I was getting injured, and I was, you know, had a bad attitude towards everything around me, and it really just snowballed and nearly got out of control. Where I reckon I was at the point where my career was starting to go down the toilet. But mm. I guess to go and see someone and be told some home truths and actually accept those things, mm. uh, not get my back up and actually try and front them and face them and and work on them and get better was uh, the turning point for me. Mm. And what, what did you learn from that whole period of life that, and I say life, not just your football career, what did you learn from that period of life that still resonates today? Well, probably to simplify things. I was, I was complicating everything too much. I was worrying about opinions of other people that, you know, I really couldn't change. Um, so I guess for me it was simplifying what I needed to do. Um, picking out a couple of key people, namely being your coach and, and a few people around your footy club and just worrying about what they think, not what everyone else around you thought. I guess getting my head out of the media side of it, not worrying about um, you know what every scribe was writing and what every fan in the street was thinking and just making sure I was pleasing the people that I needed to and just simplifying what I was doing from week to week and I think that turned it around for me. You really touched on some some powerful points there, and you know, uh, 
Stu and I would call it little voice, you know, the voices <laughs> when you're talking to yourself. And, you know, you've got, if you've got to manage, you mentioned there about simplification and, and getting clarity on who you're listening to. So does it really come down to um, learnability, your willingness to, to take good advice and take it on board without getting your back up, as you're saying, as well as sort of clarity of who you're listening to because there are so many uh, opinions uh, coming at you and, and you know, it's, to me it sounds like that was the big, the big learning curve there was actually going, shutting out the noise and... and yeah. Yeah. Spot on. I mean, it's, it's spot on. Clarity of what I was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was, that was the big thing. Not, not having too many things that I was trying to do. Just two or three simple things that I know what, if I achieved them, the other things would happen anyway. So that's definitely a clarity of what you were doing. And, and no doubt only listening to the, the opinions that were really going to matter to you at the end of the day. And, and that was, that was, my teammates and, and coaching staff at the football club and that was it basically if they were happy uh that was all that really mattered and i didn't need to worry about what other, other people thought on the outside and by making the people around the club happy in the end everyone on the outside sort of came around anyway so mm. sort of uh was a win-win in the end what's what's your main goal now well, I guess I guess now working in the media, you want to want to be the best that you can be in anything that you do. And we we actually start again tonight um, on the radio. I've got my first game, and it's like you're a little bit nervous again. You're like I haven't done this for four four or five months. You know, broadcast a game. So I guess it's just wanting to become better. At this, what, is, this is this is good practice now. Then yeah, it is. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You've got me got me going for the day. What's uh, what what's what would be the golden nuggets that you would provide to someone? at an earlier stage in their career, whether it's you know, anything, not just football or the media? Oh, it's, 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 a, it's such an easy thing to say, but it, it means everything, I think, and that's just to work hard. The harder you work, if you're working harder than the person next to you, then I think you're going you're gonna to go further. And I've seen talent only gets you so far. I've seen so many talented players and, and guys that had more talent than myself or more talent than another guy that might have played 300 games, but they didn't have the, the attitude and they didn't have the, the work rate, I guess. And it's not just work rate to go out and run around the ground and, 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 and run harder than the person next to you, but it's just work rate and everything that you do. That means doing all the extras, you know, watching your diet and, uh, you know, going and doing that extra ice bath or, or going and having an extra massage or making sure you don't miss a physio session. And mm. I guess it's the people who do that that end up achieving the most. And I've seen so many guys come off the rookie list that didn't get drafted in the first place but ended up being better players than, you know, top 10 draft picks. And it all came down to attitude and work rate at the end of the day. That manifests in every walk of life. I mean, I'm, my background's yeah. in entertainment and music. And you see, you, I've met some amazing singers that go nowhere because they were born talented and they, yeah. ne- they never learned to do the hard work. You know, yeah. they could just get on the mic and sing and sound great where there were some pretty average musicians and singers that have gone on really well because they learned to do the hard work, you know. Yeah, and like that, as you say, that applies to absolutely everything. I think everything mm-hmm. that you do, you can bring those basic... Um, principles back to it and I guess now with the the media work I think there's probably been a lot of footballers in the past that have just lobbed up on match day and and thought that their their knowledge of the game over the years would get them through but I think you get exposed pretty quickly if you you don't know 
you know, every every player in the competition, if you don't know the strengths and weaknesses, and it shows pretty quickly if you haven't done your homework and you don't know what you're talking about. So that means studying and watching all the other games and having a look at, you know, all the stats that they, they throw up these days. You don't want to go overboard on them, but you need to know what you're talking about. So that means reading, reading up, going and watching every game or, or taping the games, having a look at them on Foxtel and, I guess, reading reading all the club websites, that sort of thing, gathering information. If you don't do that, you're not probably going to survive in the media as well. So it's all about hard work at the end of the day. So you're back to, to your studies again, huh? Yeah, you do. Have you couldn't escape him, eh? It's, uh, <laughs> there's so many numbers out there now in football. It's, it can do your head in a little bit, but I think you just need to work out what's the, what are the really important ones and make sure that you you read over it and you know what you're talking about. And I think that comes out in the broadcast if you know what you're talking about. And and as I say, that's just doing your homework and a bit of hard work, and I guess being yourself as well. Yeah, the shift from data to information to wisdom. Matt, we're just about out of time. It's just uh, this this whole interview is just flowing, and uh, I'm sure we could chew your ear off for, uh, for for another thirty minutes if we had the time. But you know, look, I just want to really thank you for uh, coming on the show. You, just before we finish up, um, you've got a, a couple of pubs that uh, you know you're working hard at those as well. They're focused. Yeah, I guess. So. It's a bit of a cliche, isn't it, of footballers with pubs? But uh, yeah, I got involved a couple of years ago with a few ex-teammates in a, a couple of pubs, and I guess it's an outlet outside of footy where we can learn a little bit about another industry. So we've got the Waterside Hotel on King and Flinders Street, which is a, a good old pub there in the city. So if you ever want to come down, have a burger and a beer, and or watch a game of footy, come along there. And we've also got the Brighton Hotel in Bay Street, which being renovated at the moment so looking forward to getting that opened up again and hopefully uh, a few people pop in and say hello matt i, I wish you all the all the success with those and and with the uh the media career that is uh, no doubt burgeoning Stu, have you got anything to add oh look uh just very grateful matt thanks for coming on the show you know i, I really appreciate your sharing um you know i think we went to some some places that are going to really help the audience. You know, that we read about how um, athletes struggle with um, with depression in some cases post injury. How do you turn it around? Uh, it's the same in life, and I really am grateful to be on the call and to to learn about how you did it. So, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me, boys. And. Let's hope the Tigers win a premiership this year. Indeed. <laughs> <That's the way. laughs> to all of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. Um, we hope you enjoyed the insights provided by Matt today and uh, hope that it helps you in your journey. Don't forget to visit makeabigtraining.com to access more information uh, about Matt. And uh, Stu and I will have a bit of a chat about some of the golden nuggets that were in this interview because there were quite a lot. You can access a whole bunch of resources there designed specifically to help you make a big in life, career and business. This has been Careers Unplugged with Richard Stewart. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program, helping you succeed in life, career and business. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Foster Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.